Hey guys! Hey ladies! What's up? Welcome to a new edition of the Selby is Godcast. I am TJ Zuppi. He is Zach Meisel. You can find us on the Twitters at TJ Zuppi, at Zach Meisel, at Selby is Godcast, and I should say, Zach, that we're now on Instagram, like seven years Whoa. too late, but we're on Instagram. For no other reason than to pepper you with reminders to subscribe, to listen, to download, <laughs> and say nice things about us and share us with your friends. No, but we're, hey, on, we're on Instagram too, so come find us. Come hang out. If you're scrolling through the Selby as Godcast old photos and you accidentally double tap <laughs> one from a long time ago, we're not going to judge. Don't worry. We actually kind of welcome it. Go find that 36-week-old picture and drop a, a like on that bad boy. Yeah, but go find us on Instagram. And we got plenty of shout-outs to come in the coming moments. But uh, what's up, brother? Spring training is here. We actually have guys preparing for games in the near future. And life is good. Baseball's back. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I think we've kind of railed against the sport. More specifically, um, the league and the league's decision-makers in recent podcasts. And I think I always text you afterwards, and I'm like... Were we too harsh? I don't want people to think that we hate baseball. We do this just to to spew venom about the sport we we talk about and cover. But um, it's nice to kind of take a step back and then have conversations about like actual goings on and roster stuff and players surprising and disappointing and all of that. So I'm with you. Let's actually get a chance to talk baseball for once. I feel like because the the type of podcast we like to do. I mean, there are obviously lots of places you can get your news, lots of places you can get your Indians news. Few are going to do it as, as well as Zach, and I'm just here to build him up and showcase him. That's like, well, after all why I'm, why I'm here, <laughs> at least if you ask our five-star reviewers. Uh, but I feel like we we get an opportunity to dig in on some deeper topics, maybe work our opinions out live, not necessarily something that we've jotted down or some hot take we've been stewing on. Oftentimes we we discuss things and work them out in real time, and it means well. And because we'll be texting each other about it, and <laughs> if someone starts to get on a roll, the other person immediately says, "Save it for the pod." <laughs> yes. Well, when you do that sort of podcast where you can do some deep dives, I feel like you often find yourself. I mean, what are you the most passionate about? It the things that you love. I mean, yeah, you like talking about the things you love, but the really the things that get under your skin are the things that you hate, the things that really make you mad, and that's when. It's entertaining, and I go off the rails, and people say that it's it's great. So that that's probably why we stumble into that territory more often than not. It's it's all right. It's human nature. But today is going to be all positive. Absolutely. I have nothing, nothing negative to say about sports, <laughs> about the commissioner. Yeah. Yes, I have nothing uh, that was under my skin for the last week at all to say about what producers at ESPN are saying. Uh, hold on. So let's start with something positive. I want to give a shout-out to Chip, who recently became a supporter of the podcast. Thank you, Chip, for helping us bring this thing every week. And Tom also helped support the podcast. And we do appreciate you guys that asking us every moment of every day if we're going to do an emergency podcast about Oliver Perez. <laughs> <laughs> but the passion that you bring for this podcast and your desire to keep this thing uh, on the air, so to speak, is uh, is very much appreciated by both of us. So much so that we have something to ask you guys, but not quite yet. I'll save it for a little bit deeper into the podcast. That's what they call a tease, Zach. 
Yeah, I wanted to mention we have three new five star reviews. Wow. How about that? And I just wanted to give so a shout many out to beers to pay for. I know it's gonna be <laughs> wait whatever. until wait until all hundred of these people that have dropped us five star reviews all gang up at you on this at the same time. It's gonna be spectacular. Well, and so we learned this week that Progressive Field will be able to start the season with a capacity of about ten thousand five hundred fans and. They're all going wow, to be banging on the on the press the box. Four thousand. Oh, there it is. Oh, yes. Um, but all ten thousand five hundred people are going to be banging down the press box door, demanding I buy them a beer at the corner. So it's going to be an expensive season, I think, for this LBS Godcast. Um, but it's worth it. So shout out to Johnsonville fifty, to Sanderson eighteen, and to probably the best name I've seen in a while, Marty Funkhauser. Um, who says, the best Tribe podcast out there. I listen to every episode. Zach and TJ hit on all the content fans care about. They can talk about all things baseball without coming off as snobby, which sometimes I worry when we're, <laughs> when we're talking about how much Rob Manfred um, has botched the last decade of this sport. But, um, yeah, you know, we, we, we try to do that. We're just like you. We want baseball to be something that flourishes and entertaining and the stars to be household names um, <laughs> sometimes maybe we do come off as snobby though podcast hosts they're just like us <laughs> um i do declare i am a little uh, perturbed though zach the positivity is gone now that we've got that out of the way we can really get to the things that are taking me off no i'm not really ticked off as much about as as I am uh, curious to get your thoughts on something that actually dates back now a week. You know, we haven't been on the air since uh, you've got the Tatis extension with San Diego. 14 years! 14 years! 14 years! That's insanity to think that at the end of this deal, my four-year-old son is going to be an adult, but <laughs> that's that's beside the point. What were I, you doing 14 years ago? I was, I was still old. <laughs> Oh, I'd like to think that I'm a different person now than I was then, but uh, still the same stupid person. But that's not so much the news. I mean, Indians fans don't care so much about what the San Diego Padres are doing, although you could draw some similarities to what the Indians should have done with Lindor. But Well, half of the Padres are in spring training in Goodyear, Arizona anyway. <laughs> uh, okay, so okay, all that's fair. My or The thing that I'm curious about, is something that I believe it was a producer at ESPN said about the sport overall, and it's something, you know, obviously we don't uh, shy away from discussing our distaste for certain things that go on in the sport, but it's something I actually disagreed with. And what he said at the time was something to the effect of it was a bad thing for baseball that Tatis was going to be in San Diego because you have one of the guys that right there with Lindor, one of the faces of the sport, um, a transcendent star, somebody that you could put on TV, on ads, and people will recognize if you actually put the effort into it. He's an exciting young player. Um, all the things you kind of look for when you're trying to find an ex-Ken Griffey Jr. Maybe that's a, a difficult thing to put on a youngster, but I think he has all of those tools to be that type of star player and someone that you project forward. I mean, he, he barely has 150 games under his belt. I mean, he's, he's below 200 games in his career, and he's, like, already on a Hall of Fame path. But I don't necessarily agree with the, the determination that it's a bad thing for the sport that this, this young star is going to be in a, 
what you would term to be a non-big market in San Diego. Completely disagree. And I feel that way because the Yankees are the Yankees. The Red Sox do what they do. You have these teams in these big markets, Los Angeles. People pay attention to them no matter what is happening. You you have someone like... Um, I mean, how, how many guys have the Yankees just plugged in, in in recent years that were not supposed to be anything, and they turned themselves into at, at least stars for the moment? There's something about the pinstripes. People pay attention to that. I don't think you need to be this mega superstar to get attention in a big market. So... If the eyes are already there in the big markets, in the New Yorks, in the Los Angeleses, isn't it a good thing to then take somebody that it doesn't matter that they're in a big market, they can get the attention from the national audience? It's someone that a casual baseball fan or hell, someone that's not even that much of a baseball fan might want to tune into a Sunday night game with the Padres that features a guy like Tatis. Isn't it a good thing to then take eyeballs elsewhere because you already know Teams like the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, those sorts of clubs are already going to get the attention. So now you can spread it elsewhere by taking guys that are transcendent stars and dropping them in small markets. Or am I off base here? Okay. I have like 12 points to make. Number one, let's start with the network that you referred to, that the employee had this opinion. That's reflective of that network. That network doesn't give a shit about baseball, and it hasn't for a while now. And you can tell by, you know, when I I used to go to the gym every day and ESPN First Take would be on, and I can't remember one instance in which they ever talked about baseball, ever. And And props to Jeff Passan for trying to make baseball cool on the network, by the way. Yeah, and I think part of it, I mean, there, we talked about this in a recent podcast. It's like, when was the last time you just watched a random Sunday night baseball game? Like, if it's Braves-Phillies, do you watch that? I, I, I can't. I, I used to when I was a kid, and I haven't in a long time. But here's, here's the issue. You know, there's, there's this quarterback that plays in this small town in Wisconsin. And he's, he's had a pretty nice career, but no one knows much about him. Um, you know, it's amazing that he's dated celebrities because it's, it's amazing anyone's discovered him. But this guy, Aaron Rodgers, I don't know. Have you heard of him? Sounds familiar? Wasn't yeah, that guy like a backup to Brett Favre for 12 years? Yeah, and you know, it's it's a, no one even knows this, but he's actually in some State Farm commercials with Patrick Mahomes, um, who's another guy who wait, I don't wait. think. Where does he that? Where does that guy play? Yeah, like these guys. If it's too bad they don't play for the Giants and the Jets, um, because then they would get more attention. But instead, they're stuck in Green Bay and Kansas City, which clearly aren't big markets, and so no one's ever heard of them. Here's the thing. It shouldn't matter what the market is. There are only 30 teams in each sport. There are enough people in this country who like sports that if you're good enough and if you're marketed properly, people will know who you are. In the NBA, if you're a star player, people know who you are. And Oklahoma City is a tiny market, but everybody in the world knew who Kevin Durant was and knew who Russell Westbrook was and knew who James Harden was. And baseball's biggest issue, and I feel like we've talked about this so much lately, but it's becoming as relevant now as ever, uh, is that people don't know who the hell their stars are. And guess what? Mike Trout plays in as big a market as there is, and nobody knows who Mike Trout is, and there's not much more he could do except demand that his front office puts a better team around him. But that shouldn't matter. So I think 
it shouldn't matter. First of all, if you're Fernando Tatis, San Diego, like who wouldn't want to live in San Diego for 14 <laughs> years, right? Um, and, and, and that's it, by the way, for sports in San Diego now because the Chargers yeah. have left. The Padres are the ticket in town. So hell yeah, have a Fernando Tatis and have a Manny Machado and, and have a revamped pitching staff. That's a fun-ass team that I would want to yes. go watch regardless of the fact that it's the only professional sports team that you're really going to be paying attention to right and now. And it doesn't matter what market they are. They were the talk of baseball during the regular season last year. Slam Diego. Like, it, it, they were fun. Every network should have wanted them on TV and should want them on TV. It doesn't matter that they're in San Diego. That's the issue baseball has, is there is such a disparity between the haves and the have-nots. And if you're a fan, it's like, it, the dumbest thing is that even teams use this as an excuse. Like, And I get it to an extent. Like, we're a small market. We can't compete with New York and New York and Chicago and Chicago and L.A. and L.A. And at the same time, it's like, that doesn't mean that just because maybe you have half the payroll as a big market team and you can't make a run at free agents and it's harder to keep guys, well, your fans are still 100% as passionate as fans of big market teams. And so you can't expect them to care less. And that's the big problem, is that baseball almost treats its sport like, well, fans in these cities should just lower their expectations. And that's... It's such a huge problem that it seems like the league has no intention on solving. And the fact that in the NFL, I mean, the NBA is different because stars just want to go play in cities together that have big markets or nice weather. Um, but in the NFL, like it truly, all 32 teams, if you find a quarterback, you're set. And and, and they all have the same chance to find a quarterback. You know? yeah. the, so in baseball, it shouldn't matter where your city is located and how many TV networks are in your city. It really shouldn't matter. And it's up to the league to make that work because they have lost so many fans and it's turned into a regional sport. And this person at ESPN you're referencing probably thinks that only people in San Diego care about the Padres. And so Tatis is just going to, to vanish into thin air. Now, I we, we try to be as fair as we, we possibly can on this podcast, and I texted you the other day. I feel like I know we're fair because anytime either one of us makes a point where we're feeling good and positive, the other one's like, yeah, well, actually, and hits you with the, the counterpoint. I will hit you with a couple of counterpoints that I think work against Major League Baseball that is a little bit out of their hands. I will preface that preface this by saying, I don't think that excuses them from looking for alternatives and other other avenues to make their stars marketable. I mean, it worked for Ken Griffey Jr., and it was still the same sort of thing. And he was playing in Seattle. Seattle, okay? And it was he, he was the guy on the cover of video games and the, the guy that everyone wanted to be spinning their cat backward. And, exactly. And, and doing things just with a flair for being cool. Now... You have mentioned Mike Trout a number of times. Mike Trout, yes, is someone that does not transcend, is not somebody that you see all over commercials. He's in some, but for the most part, people out, people that aren't baseball fans without some context clues are probably not going to be able to figure out who Mike Trout is. Some of that is just on, that's Mike Trout. You know, He's not somebody that is extremely marketable. Again, that doesn't excuse Major League Baseball from trying to to market that guy to to do their best to make him a star outside of just his tremendous talent but he's not somebody that is going to have that really 
awesome presence. I mean, what what is he known for? He's a Eagles fan, right? I think, and he was at some games, and that was supposed to be cool for him. He likes weather, and he likes weather, and it's like, okay, that's the coolest thing we can take away from him. So that that part plays against Major League Baseball, but again, that doesn't excuse them from okay, he's so he's not that sort of of player. He's not the someone that the camera finds. So do something else. Find other people. You do just try your best. There's I, so I much young that, talent in this game. I, How many I, people I, I, know I who Ronald Acuna is? I know. Second thing is the sport does not. It's not a sport where you tune in. You, you do this some with with starting pitchers because there's going to be the guy that, and the game is killing this too. But <laughs> going to be the guy that goes out there for five six innings, and for half the time you see them doing something. So it's kind of like a star power tune in sort of thing when somebody that is really good is pitching. But it's it's less so for star players that are position players because they're only going to get to the plate four, maybe five times. And you could say, I'm going to tune into this Sunday night game that's got Mike Trout. Well, he might go 0 for 4 with three punch outs. It's very rare that you might see that. But that's something that happens. It doesn't take away from him being a star. You don't tune into an NFL game and see Tom Brady not complete a pass. <laughs> you don't see LeBron James go 2 for 17 from the field and finish with seven points. These guys are having a huge fingerprint on every game that they play. Baseball, it doesn't it doesn't work necessarily like that, so it makes it more difficult for, for when a, a, a team is on. You, oh, I really want to tune into that team to see what somebody is going to do. You might catch a highlight. You might see something on Twitter. You might be interested in that regard. So I think those things work against Major League Baseball, but it does not excuse them for for failing to market the sport as as they should. And now you've got someone like Tatis who should be you should market the holy hell out of this guy. He's somebody that people want to see. Same thing with Francisco Lindor in New York now. But people knew who Francisco Lindor was even when he was in Cleveland. Now, did they do that well enough? Probably not. They probably missed on some opportunities even with Lindor. But I don't think market size has to matter. In fact, I think when you get these star players that are going to stay in small markets for a long time, I mean, it's so rare that you actually come away feeling like both sides got something that they wanted out of that deal. It's not like, oh, it's so club-friendly, this guy got robbed. Or, oh, I can't believe they paid this guy x amount of it no you, you look at that and it makes sense for everybody involved it's so rare that you have one of those stories in major league baseball so promote the hell out of that thing i think it's a good thing and uh, you're not going to tell me that he has to go play in a big market to make it a good thing for the sport sorry so i don't know if you paid any attention to this new thing called nba top shot ever heard of it nba top shot no is so like it's david busters is that something i can embarrass myself on so it's essentially digital trading cards where instead of a physical little two and a half by three and a half inch piece of cardboard, and I know that exact dimension because of a story I am finishing up, um, it's, it's digital. So you can own a highlight of LeBron James hitting a three-pointer from a specific game. And it might seem kind of stupid because you could just go on YouTube or NBA League Pass and watch that highlight, but there is value in the ownership of it and creating a collection. At least that was the NBA's intention with this. What has happened is it has created this insane, basically a stock market where I have a buddy who has made like almost $100,000 off of just buying and selling this stuff in the last month. It's, it's, 
it is incredible how the interest in this has soared and it's not even i think it's still in like beta testing like it's not even they haven't even revealed like the final product yet but so they release like packs of cards or highlights ever so often and it's it's amazing because now you can like a, a jetty osman assist will cost you like 200 bucks right now like it's it's incredible but what it does is number one brings interest to their sport um there are certainly people who maybe are interested in finance and making money and don't have a ton of nba knowledge but they are doing research into who these players are and what might have value moving forward. Uh, it brings in a younger audience because you would think it's mostly younger people doing this. And it's, I mean, it's nothing but good for the, the sport in itself. And I'm so curious to see if baseball has any sort of plan because when you think of trading cards, you think of baseball cards. Or at least I do. I think most people do. And... It's the type of thing that, like, I think, I mean, imagine, like, owning the highlight of a Fernando Tatis walk-off home run. That sounds pretty cool. Um, and I think there's definitely a market for that. And you bring in a younger audience. And it's something that's innovative and would be such a good idea. So I know for a fact there will be no baseball <laughs> version of Top Shot. Uh, what would the, would the Selby Grand Slam highlight, would that be, like, the holographic Charizard? Or would that be... <laughs> Even I'd more pay special. so much money for that. How about the? What, what if you own the highlight of the walk-off balk by Al Albuquerque <laughs> at Progressive oh Field a few years ago? Yeah, that I, keep your Rajay Game Seven home run. I want the the the, the walk-off single where Coco Crisp had to field it through a sea of birds. That's <laughs> what I want. Or, or how about when Jumbo Diaz uh, threw a baseball, the second baseball onto the field, and there was mass. <laughs> There's pandemonium. Oh, yeah, that one didn't catch on in the baseball mark in the uh, baseball rule changes. Well, you know, since we swore we weren't going to rail on the sport, and then we did that for 20 minutes, I'm going to move on before I get uh, my blood pressure even higher. But the point stands, and it's not something that's going to change uh, this week, and we'll continue to discuss. And if you have any uh, similar rants that you need to get off your chest that you would like us to stress, send them over at Selby is Godcast, where we really value your opinion. So much so that Zach and I have been kicking around an idea for, uh, I would it's been more than just we, this week, but we really looked into it this week, uh, that I wanted to ask our, our fans about. Do you think we can do that? Do you think we can get their opinions on this and, and get a truthful response, or is it just going to be a bunch of trolls? Do we, are, do trolls listen to the podcast? <laughs> I imagine they're everywhere, but their their streaming numbers count the same, so I'm all for that. So Zach, we always get people asking us if we're going to do more than just one episode per week. Now we we try our best to do as many of these as possible, but you know, I've got two kids at home. You've got a baseball team to cover right now. <laughs> it makes it a little a little difficult to always find the uh, the time and not just time but quiet time to get those things done but we, we, we do it we we take time out of our day and we do it because we have a, those handful of supporters that keep this podcast rolling which we cannot thank you enough but we do always have people asking us hey are you going to do another one per week and it's something we've we've thought about doing but uh, it's something that we feel like has to be you know worth it to our fans they have to appreciate it and have to has to be worth it to us too to take the time to do that but it's something we've we've thought about before and this is this goes beyond just the the bonus episode for every non-roster invite that the Indians extend 
uh, maybe making it a more regular thing where we do a bonus episode per week. But what I wanted to ask people and, and try to gauge their opinions on, because I know there are other podcasts that do something similar to this, would would people actually be interested if we did a bonus episode per week? If we kept the one, the steady one that you can count on, that's always in your Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. But if we also did a second one per week, would people be willing to pay for that? Is that something they would actually like to support us on? Would would pay extra to have that additional episode in their inbox per week? And if it's something they would like, I would like to hear from people to to see if that's something they would be willing to to pay for, whether it's a, a, a dollar per episode. I know some podcasts have done that with some Patreon services. I'm just, I'm just curious. I don't want to just put it out there and let's just do it without talking to the the people that we're, we we get a little int- intimate with every single week and see what they think. So what do you think? Can we throw it out there and see if our our fans, our listeners, would be willing, or or even that's something they desire? And it's not not that we would take away the normal podcast that would stay, but we're talking about additional content. Would you be willing to pay for additional content per week? And I think so. Uh, let's. Say if, if you have an opinion on this, and no matter what your opinion is, feel free DM us at Selvia's Godcast. DMs are open. Uh, you could even D- slide into the DMs on Instagram if that's uh, your preferred method. Um, at Selvia's Godcast. Especially as the season is getting underway here, and maybe there is some semblance of normalcy. That light at the end of the tunnel is approaching finally, and you know. There will be normalcy at the ballpark. Things will feel a little bit closer to normal. Um, maybe as, as we start to move away from the Zoom era and get back to being able to talk to people face-to-face, you know, there's just going to be certainly more to say with actual baseball and maybe 162 games instead of 60 semi-real games. Uh, and so, it's yeah, I think it's it's definitely something we've been thinking about. And... We're always looking for ways to improve production and quality and just deliver what you guys want and making sure that whatever the appetite is out there, we're providing um, so that everybody has what they need. Because um, it's, it's amazing, the support we've gotten. We could not be more appreciative, not just the five-star reviews, but just people who, I mean, it, it, it honestly brings a smile to our faces when... Some sort of news happens, and whether it's just Oliver Perez signing or it's Francisco Lindor getting traded, and people tweet at us and say, "We need an emergency podcast." Like that's that really gives us a great feeling, and we're glad that you know that's something that pops into your mind in those moments. So yeah, I, if if people want a second podcast uh, per week or something of that sort, I think we're definitely willing to. Uh, determine what makes sense. Let us know. At Selby's Godcast, tweet at us, at TJZoopy, at Zach Meisel. It's not something definite, not something we're absolutely going to do. It's just something we've been kicking around, and we figured we've been doing that long enough. Let's ask you guys. You are the people that consume this every single week and apparently like it. I mean, otherwise it would just be Zach and I sitting here talking to each other. We do that enough. Um, We don't have to record it and later have anybody come back and say, look what you idiots said. We know enough. We hit each other over the head enough with our bad takes that we share back and forth via text. Uh, but if you would like bonus content, and I don't, I don't know if that even stops at uh, just a bonus episode. You know, maybe we do some 
some bonus mailbags. Maybe we do some live Q&As. I don't, I don't know what that extends to, but if you would have any opinions on additional content, uh, whether it is a bonus episode or, or more ideas, shoot them this way and let us know if that was something you would be interested in. And if we get some overwhelming support for it, that is definitely something we will consider. Absolutely. A, a deep dive review of Game 7 of the 2016 World Series? Oh, we, I think we'd have to pay people to listen to that. <laughs> Uh, okay, so we've made fun of Oliver Perez enough in this podcast. He's back, and you should be delighted because one of the main sticking points for you all offseason is that the Indians don't have a trusted left-hander in the bullpen. Well, they brought back Oliver Perez. So I think he's going to make the team, which makes sense. Kyle Nelson is probably ready for the majors, but I can understand if they want him to pitch in the minors for a little bit first. Anthony Ghost, you know this. I mean, I really want to see this guy pitch in the major leagues because the stuff is incredible. He just needs to be able to throw it for strikes. And it makes total sense if they want him to start in the minors because he hasn't had normal... He's a converted outfielder, and he hasn't had normal pitching in since last spring. So, although he, he played a little bit of winter ball, but that's small sample. So they don't really have a lefty. And yeah, they don't necessarily need one because the three batter minimum, and you might have Logan Allen or Scott Moss, and Whatever, but so Oliver Perez makes sense. I have two issues. Number one, they started to run away from him last season. He he only pitched 18 innings, and his workload really decreased in September. And I thought it was because they didn't want him to have to face three batters at a time. Um, but apparently, that wasn't too big of an issue. The other thing is, you know, he if he makes the team. And I think it's safe to say either Brian Shaw or Blake Parker makes the team. It's possible both. Um, it's possible someone like Ben Gamble or Billy Hamilton makes the team. I mean, we're talking three, maybe four non-roster guys that you're going to have to add to the 40-man roster, which, who are you going to cut? Like, are you really... I'm not saying Jake Bowers is going to be a good major leaguer. I have no idea. But do you really want to sacrifice, do you want to just completely cut ties with him because you really want to squeeze Heath Hembry onto the roster for what might only be a month or two? Yeah, they might have to be handing out uh, 60-day IL stints just left and right. (laughs) Hey, hey, you're hurt. Here's a 60-day IL stint. You don't count against the 40 now. Like, there's a couple guys who they could, like, like Bo Taylor is, is on the 40. He's their third catcher. But I don't think they would need him because I also think he would clear waivers. But you also want to carry a catcher on your taxi squad all season for COVID protocols. And so, like, I don't know how simple that is. I don't know if they'd want to do that. And then there's they have so many starting pitchers on the 40-man roster. But, like, you're not going to DFA. At least I wouldn't think you would want to. Like, uh, John Carlos Mejia, um, who has been on their 40 and has been in big league camp for a couple years now. Like, you're going to DFA a young starting pitcher in your minors just so you can get a look at Oliver Perez? It's just, it's it's a little weird. And so I'm curious to see how this shakes out. And you're right. It's like, if anybody, if you have a hangnail, <laughs> then you're going to go on the 60-day injured list, especially because, remember, the minor league season is, is yeah, delayed. Yeah, I think. right. Um, so there's still, we don't have a ton of clarity on how it's actually going to work with, you know, your reinforcements for your major league club and like do your taxi club, do your taxi squad. I don't know off the top of my head if 
those guys have to be on the 40. Like, there's a lot of confusion still. So it's it's a weird situation. I would think this is a year where you might not want a lot of non-roster guys, and yet it seems like they're going to have quite a few. Yeah, I mean, Oliver Perez is uh, 57 years old now, and so it's not a surprise to see the, the fastball velocity dipping in recent years. I mean, it's still 18 innings, you take whatever that's worth, but it's still getting some results, and it's not somebody... There are guys that, as a left-hander, you, you, you have to breathe into a paper bag every time they face a right-handed hitter because it's that bad. I don't think Oliver Perez is quite that bad. He's got enough weird arm slots and funky deliveries to keep people off balance. But I, I think even the days of a couple of years ago when he was just lights out out of the bullpen are probably gone. But he's someone... I I, I, I think that moves make makes some sense. The other ones, though, are head not, not head-scratching because I can understand having the depth and at least taking a look if you get an opportunity. Uh, but if you're going to try to squeeze all these guys on the roster, it's going to be difficult. Now... You know, it's it's one thing to sit here today and try to make sense of what the roster is going to look like, but we have a, you know, a whole month of games coming up. You don't know who's going to get injured. Somebody is going to, even when you're not even talking about uh, the ways you can finagle roster spots, uh, you know, to, to work somebody in. Somebody is probably going to get hurt that you're not anticipating. There There are going to be things on the horizon that you don't foresee now that make things possible that it, <laughs> when you look back on things you thought, like, two weeks ago or a month ago, you go, why was I even worried about that? That thing worked itself out. So I think there's some degree of that. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to, to, to see how they sift through that bullpen because they have a lot of, of younger arms that are really intriguing but have n- I have no sense of what their floor is. Um, and so you bring in some guys that are a little bit more stable, maybe a little bit more predictable, but are you going to give up a young player for just a shade more predictability? That's tough. That's tough. Yeah, I think we can safely pencil in Karen Check. Yeah, I don't know what role. I, I really think, I think they want him in that fireman role. I, I think so too. And I, I think I, it makes more sense. I think you're gonna see, if if I had to put some money down today, I don't feel good about doing it, but I think you might see someone like Whitgren yep. in the closer spot. Uh, you bring him in clean innings. He's not your best reliever, but. Maybe you can make the argument he's your, one of your top three relievers. So I you... said that on a fantasy baseball podcast, and I think the host nearly shit his pants. <laughs> Cause, Why, cause just, he... just because he now has a sleeper that might collect well, some they, saves? They were asking about, they were all excited about Karinczak and the prospect of maybe uh, 100 strikeouts yeah. and 40 saves. And I'm like, what, what about Nick Wickren? <laughs> and they're like, what? Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, and I, Klaus, Klaus, go ahead. I, was, I, I don't... That's not me saying that that's for certain what they're going to do, but I think that is a very a very possible scenario. Very much yeah. so. Classe is the wild card because if he's... Classe wants to close. He's flat out said it this week. I want to be a closer. Um, but they're not just going to hand him that at the start no. of the year, I would think. And so he's going to have to, to earn that. And... <sighs> I could see them starting the year, but just saying nobody is the closer. And organically, yeah. somebody works their way into the ninth inning. But even saying that, I would not be surprised if it's the two best arms just floating between innings. You have someone like Classe who gets a lot of ground balls. If that's somebody that could come in with a runner on first base and could get me a double play, that's a very intriguing option as a manager. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, Well, there's one other guarantee... Phil Maton, who 
truly like should probably be talked about in the same breath as Karen Sheck and Classe, right? I mean, he's got great God, stuff. He the was metrics. so he was so off the charts good, and then just folded down the stretch. <laughs> yeah. So and and he's. I think the Indians are quietly confident that he's going to be a pretty important piece. But those four, I mean, that's a great foundation. And the weird thing is, like, there's there are so many routes they can go. And they can go, you, you can fill out the, they're going to carry eight relievers to start the year. So you have those four, and then it's like, okay, you can, you can pick from the non-roster veteran guys, Parker, Perez, Shaw, Hembree, maybe even DJ Johnson. You can pick from the extra starter pool, Plutko, Allen, Moss. And then there are the young guys, like Nelson. I, I include Ghost in that just because he's young in terms of pitching career. Um, Nick Sandlin is a guy who was supposed to be fast-tracked and then ran into some injuries. Um, so it, it, it's weird, you know. They don't really... It's, they have a lot of interesting guys, like there's Robert Broom, whose ERA is microscopic in his minor league career. Funky delivery, doesn't throw hard, but um, just really deceptive. Like, he could be in the mix at some point during the year, but... Yeah, definitely don't just sweep him under the rug. Uh, he, they, they have... There are a lot of different ways they can build this, and I think it's going to look very different in April than it does in September. Agreed. Agreed. And that's typically how bullpens go anyhow. You... you you think at the beginning of the year it's going to look one one way, and guys are just so unpredictable. And even in a long season, small sample sizes come into play. For, I mean, I, I, I'm laughing at trying to take away anything from last year is hard enough for hitters and starting pitchers. Doing it for relievers who pitched less than 20 innings, fewer than 20 innings. Are you, are you kidding me? That's that's ridiculous. I mean, you can look at some things like I can look at Karen Check's strikeout rate, and I can look at the velocity and the way he's throwing his pitches, and I could say, okay, that's repeatable. But we're talking about someone like Oliver Perez even. It's, okay, it, you're talking about guys that do it with deception and the strikeout rate drops. I'm not anticipating him being uh, quite a lethal part of your bullpen, but it's not necessarily a bad thing to have another lefty out there. It, it'll be... It'll be fun to watch that unfold because I think they have some intriguing arms. And I, I hope, you know, I said this at the time that they signed Brian Shaw. I'm okay with adding guys to the pile because I think you need that depth and relievers are just so fluky anyways. Uh, I don't think it's a bad thing to have multiple options. But I, I'm hoping, and I, and I think you are too, that they don't just grab all the veteran guys and start the year and just start cutting everybody uh, to make room for guys that, again, maybe, maybe are a little bit more uh, predictable, but... Is the predictability so much greater that I want to lose somebody younger from the 40-man roster? I, I don't I don't think so. So, apparently Francisco Lindor quit in 2020. I don't know if you heard this. Did you see this? Did you hear about this? Um, but I, I won't put words in your mouth, but I, I don't know if <laughs> reading all the headlines, quit means what people think it means, at least based on what he said. But what was your opinion on that? So this is tough because I don't know the full context of the interview, and I think that's important. Um, you know, we saw the two sentences yeah. that spread through Cleveland like wildfire. Well, I'll, let me read them again. Just for anybody that missed it, this was Lindor speaking to New York reporters, and he said, I didn't give my best in the weight room, and that showed in the last week of the season. I got tired. And then he went on to say he's never been scared about free agency, so it's not like he was in a rush to sign a deal or anything. But he did 
say that it, and that's that one line that kind of stuck with people. I didn't give my best in the weight room. That showed, and I got tired. So what do you take away from that? So what I take away from that is a couple of things. Number one, it, it was a mentally taxing season for a lot of guys. And we can say, oh, you make millions of dollars and you just had to play 60 games. Like, and I get that. But it still grinds on you mentally. And like listening to Oscar Mercado talk this week about how he was feeling so sorry for himself last year and was in a terrible headspace and was wondering if all the grinding through the minor leagues and the struggles and everything he overcame in the minors was worth it just to get to this point in the majors where he's hitting a buck 28 and is stuck at the alternate site and has to deal with all these protocols and at night can't go and hang with his family or his friends. He's got to go back to the hotel and just have dinner delivered to his room. So I think it was tough mentally. These guys are human beings. I think with Lindor, I don't want to put words in his mouth. He would, he never, I mean, we asked him about like, what's going on? Why aren't you yourself? But first of all, no athletes ever just going to say, well, you know, I'm dealing with this, this, and this. And like, like they, they don't make excuses for that. So it's possible. I mean, he had a pregnant now fiance at the time during the season. He has a baby. I think it was a girl in November, maybe early November. I wonder if that was weighing on his mind. He had a lot going on. Um, I don't know how much he was able to spend time with them during the season as everything was going on. Um, it was pretty chaotic for everybody starting in July. And even before that, when you're playing this waiting game, you don't want to know when the season is going to start. I mean, Logan Allen said that he gained a quarantine 20 and then started to shed weight once the baseball season started. So that's all it was. It was difficult like for, first week. It was difficult for everyone. And it's not to excuse Lindor for hitting terribly with runners in scoring position or um, I mean, truly, he did not. He didn't have a good season. Up to his standards, at least. And I think, as we always say on this podcast, multiple things can be correct at the same time where you can criticize the player for maybe not busting his ass um, the way he should have, but also be understanding of how challenging of a season it was mentally and the effects that everything going on in his life and everything at the ballpark had. This isn't a normal season when you could just stroll into the ballpark and say what's up to your boys and sit at your locker forever and play music. and like It wasn't like that. You really had to be individualistic and self-sufficient. And I think for some guys it was tough, especially if you had other things going on. The weird thing to me is that he admitted that. Like, aren't you trying to land some 10-year, $6 yeah. billion dollar deal here? I guess, I guess I'll, I'll come from that from a different angle. But I will say, you know, only he knows, well, maybe... Some people uh, in the Indians training staff might have some some opinions on this, but only he knows whether or not he gave it his all in the weight room uh, and how much he really got tired. The quit way that this gets thrown around, I'm always skeptical of, of it meaning exactly what people think it means because I don't think Lindor went up there with runners in scoring position and was like, eh, whatever happens, happens. Can I, I say one thing? I don't care. Paul Dolan not agreeing to give Lindor 300 and. $50 million is not the reason why Lindor didn't go like do five more biceps curls. <laughs> I, 
I saw people saying like, well, I wouldn't go in the weight room if my owner didn't want to pay yeah, me. And no, it's like, come on. No, that would got, actually give got, him more incentive because he wants to land that new deal yeah, from an, another yeah, team. He's got a new he's got a deal he's got to worry about. He's got he's a a prideful person that as much as players say that oh, I don't care what my stats say, I just want to win. Well, yeah, they want to win and they also want to hit fucking 40 bombs and they want to get paid. <laughs> oh, that's true. Many things can be true at once here. I do think there's some degree of and I agree with you. I don't want to put words in Lindor's mouth either, but this is just my opinion. I think I think there's some degree of when things go wrong, you want to you want to show that you have some control over it. That it that it was somewhat on you that things didn't go to plan. And if you look at his season, he didn't have a great season by his standards. I mean, by a shortstop standard, you would still say he's pretty damn good. But he didn't have that typical Lindor season. And so you start looking for reasons why that is. And if I'm Lindor, I want to jump out in front of this and say, it's because, it's on me. I didn't do something that I should have done. Don't worry about me declining. Don't worry about uh, something that would be a red flag moving forward if you're going to sign me to a deal. It's because I didn't give my all. And I think there's some degree of that when you're talking about anybody that kind of consider themselves a leader, but also wants to get out in front of certain topics, certain uh, opinions that you might hear on, on talk radio as much as players say that they don't care about those sorts of things. So I think there's some degree of just him wanting to show that it was on him and not something out of his control or not something where he's somehow in decline or something that you have to worry about. If he demonstrates, no, nah, it's because you know I just got tired at the end of the year and that's on me. Now he's demonstrating that it's he has control over this, and if he goes into that weight room and does a couple more push-ups, then he is going to be back to being that star-level player. And that's just kind of the way that I read it, but again, that's just my opinion. Yeah, it's odd that he admitted that. I just It wouldn't deter me from wanting to sign him long-term, and I, I mean, I haven't really given it much attention in terms of Twitter or writing something on it, because I it's it's not something Cleveland fans should be fixating on it was not like did anyone actually think they were going to win the world series last season when like when they got matched up against the yankees well when, anyone, when like, josh naylor one? when josh naylor yeah. went super saying i thought maybe there was a chance i mean I, I like if there are people who are saying well i this just ruins my perception of him forever and you know he was one of my most beloved cleveland players of all time and now he's not i mean that that shouldn't change that so um, I don't put too much stock into it. And again, like I also, we, I don't know the whole context. I didn't even, I wasn't interested enough to go see the full interview. So, so we agree. He quit. All right, it's all on him. Moving on. <laughs> we should quit from this topic. <laughs> Just gonna throw my headset down. We're done. Have a good day, everybody. I didn't go quite enough in the the vocal training this week so <laughs> i'm just ready to to kind of hang it up i'm just a little tired terry francona doesn't have to be tired of seeing eddie rosario anymore in fact he noted as, as such this week that it's nice not to have to hate you i think was the quote <laughs> uh, uh it, it made me think of everybody has this growing up you followed a certain team and that team would always have an arch nemesis and there are always star players i mean if you weren't a Seattle Mariners fan and your team was playing the Mariners, you probably hated Ken Griffey Jr. Like, oh, that strut when he walks out of the box crushing that three-run bomb that also crushed my dreams. I hate that. You know, I can't stand Ken Griffey Jr. Or maybe it was Derek Jeter. Oh, Jeter. Oh, I constantly hear about how great he is. I can't stand Derek Jeter. But there, 
That's because those guys are so good. That's why you develop those feelings. That, oh my god, I can't stand that guy. But I love the the random, and I think Eddie Rosario would probably fall into this category, though with the amount of home runs that he hits on balls that he should not even have any business hitting probably makes this list a little length, lengthier than, than normal. Those, those players that play... Uh, whether it's growing up, or and I'm sure this is the case for you know someone like Terry Francona too, that you just can't stand. But if you told somebody else that you can't stand that player, they would say, "Why? Why is it that guy? Why? What is? What does that guy do that you absolutely hate?" But I think everybody has that. There was one that a buddy and I in high school always used to joke about that we hated, and I went back and looked at the numbers, and it's not like he was ever really great against the Indians, but for whatever reason, we hated Joe Randa. Joe Randa, like, <laughs> screw this guy. And I think he when had, he was with Kansas City? Yeah, he, he was the third baseman with Kansas City. And again, I went back at his numbers. It's not like he had so much success, but it was probably just the games I happened to be really caring about the outcome at the time. He might have had a, a big hit or something. And he had, he, he almost like had a permanent grin on his face. <laughs> and I, I, he was just, I hate that stupid grin on his face. It's just his face. He can't change that. <laughs> it's just the way his face looked. What is he supposed to do? It's like someone that tells me I'm ugly on Twitter. Okay, <laughs> this is me. I don't know what to do. <laughs> but you just I couldn't stand him. Couldn't stand Joe. God, God here comes Joe Randa again. Great. He's going to hit a grand <laughs> slam for sure. I love those uh, those random players that have no business being that impactful on your life. But they were. Well, the two guys I remember who always killed Cleveland were, and they're, they were really good players. So, but like Mike Sweeney and Paul Konerko immediately come to mind. Just, just always torment Cleveland pitching, and like it was always, it was never just like, like it was always three run homers, and like um, Konerko's numbers against Cleveland were just impossible. But those two I remember, and and especially in baseball too, because you have for the last what. 20 years, the imbalanced schedule where you're facing these guys 19 times a season. You know, there was there was a pitcher, I can't remember, I can't pinpoint who it was, but there was a pitcher, someone in the AL Central who just always, seemed like he always threw seven shutout innings against Cleveland. I can't, I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was like the, maybe like the 05 era, like that sort of time frame. I always um, seem to remember Bruce Chen just shoving against every Indians team. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they could never hit lefties. That's why they went and got Jason Michaels. <laughs> and then they could out. still not hit lefties. <laughs> that worked out. Uh, yeah, so especially the soft toss. The softer tossing, the... Jamie Moyer maybe might have had some really good games yes. against the Indians. I mean, Jamie Moyer Always. pitched until he was 74, so uh, I could see... Uh, him being the pain in the ass for him. I think the the more random it is, the the more ticked off you got. Like this fucking guy, it's this guy. I I think that always adds to it. The worst the player. Who was the guy that that always crushed against Justin Masterson? And you're like this this guy's terrible. Don Kelly. I think it might have been yeah Don Kelly. Like, yeah. This guy's terrible. And Masterson's up there throwing these frisbees that just end up on the other side. And, and here's Don All fucking right, Kelly. I got it. I figured it out, and this is this is crazy. <laughs> it was 2004. Terry Mulholland <laughs> against the Indians. Three starts, 171 ERA, 21 innings, and he only he had six strikeouts. Like, what are you, what are you doing? 
You, you're putting the ball in play? Why can't you find a hole? <laughs> then, then they went out and... Was this before or after they signed him? Well, so he was he was 41 that season. How, like, how can you not hit this guy? Um, I'm telling you, the, the more random it is or the worse the player is, and he had that success. God, he, he was with it. Cleveland the two years before that and was terrible. And then goes to Minnesota and destroys them. Can't pitch well against anyone else. His ERA was 518, but against Cleveland, he was fantastic. If you have one of those players that just, to this day, piss you off, I would love to know them. Let us know at Selby's Godcast. We'll uh, maybe read through some of those in a in a future episode. Uh, but those are always fascinating to me. Uh, final thing before we get to random Indian of the day. You texted me. I think you're, were you working on another roster projection? What is this, 47.0? Are you doing draft, oh, mock drafts now, too? I mean, It's ever-changing. <sighs> mock draft expert over here putting together the Indians outfield. Now, I think you and I are on the same page for what this is going to look like on opening day, but this is not without the benefit of any games taking place. Who do you think's on that opening day roster in the outfield? I think Eddie Rosario is going to make it. That's, that's a good one. I'm going to write that one down. It's a sleeper pick. Uh, I see him in right field. I see Mercado in center. I see Naylor in left. I think Bowers or Bradley will win the first base job or trip and stumble into it um but that's important because what happens to Bow- if bowers is starting that makes it possible to carry an additional outfitter but if he's on the bench then that's cutting into somebody's time right so if him playing or you first could just base, cut ties with him so that dj johnson can make the roster but are you going i mean realistically is that going to happen based on what happens in spring training i don't know so. that that's what makes it so difficult is how do you evaluate these guys brian shaw is an era of 400 every spring how do you just determine that he's back to his 2016 form i don't i don't know so i i think luplo makes it obviously as a bench guy and then the fifth guy I projected was ben gamble for now he can play all three spots he yeah. is a lefty who hits lefties better so i you know the the way for daniel johnson to make the roster and to me he is intriguing i'd like to see him play every if not every day at least against righties he needs bowers and bradley to have shitty springs so that Naylor's at first and then he can play right. Um, but I don't I don't know that that's going to happen. Yeah. yeah, and I, and I don't know if Gamble makes the roster if Bowers is on the bench. So that one's tough. But I, you know, I, in a vacuum, I, don't, I didn't hate the, the Gamble pickup. I think he's a fine fourth outfielder some, because he, he has the ability to play center field and they didn't have a backup center fielder that's not in Billy Hamilton and I don't want that to happen because I'm concerned about what might happen Billy Hamilton on, on the roster but uh, I agree with you I think that's the way that it goes now if I'm drawing things up do things end up different probably yeah uh, I'm with you I want to see Daniel Johnson on the the roster but I think it's going to be Gamble making the team but who knows so much can change between now and opening day and someone's going to get hurt someone's going to stink someone's going to be great and where we end up it's going to be uh, fascinating. You got a random mini of the day for me? Of course you do. I do. I've changed it four times during the course of this podcast. Yes. But we're going with this person. Um, I, d- I know we had a list, but I, I still feel like when I close in on someone, I'm like, I feel like we've done this person. So instead, we'll do this. This person, uh, his middle name is Gilbert. Any guesses? Uh, no. Shockingly right. enough. Played for the Indians in 2013 and 2014. Had a robust 171 average. 
and a 622 OPS in 246 at bats. Where was he? I don't know. Where where was he playing? <laughs> uh, he signed with a free agent as a free agent. Um, I don't want to give too much away here. You know, he was originally a second round draft pick. Bounced around to one, two, three teams before he arrived in Cleveland. Um, his time with Cleveland was the end of his major league career. He hit 11 home runs in those 246 at-bats, 10 doubles, was hit by a pitch five times, three sacrifice flies. Hmm. His previous team was Colorado. Yeah, why can't I think of who that would be? Uh, I don't know. I don't have any guesses yet. Um, born in California, went to Cal State Long Beach. Uh, hmm. I don't know what else I can tell you. <laughs> That's great. During his career, he was like a first baseman, left fielder, even played some third base. Okay. So that's not... Played right field at some point. That's not Matt Carson. Crash Carson. That's, no. who, that's who I was... I was trying to think of random people that were on that uh, 13 team. Uh, uh, that random outfielder... Uh, that it wouldn't be because I think did he throw left? Jason Kubel, I think he threw left-handed. I don't remember, but that's not. I him. think we I think he, we had, did him recently. Uh, it was not him because he came from the Twins, not the Rockies. You know, I always learned it's good to have dead space in the middle of your podcast. <laughs> that's why I. That's why I have a little tool that takes some of it out. A little behind the curtains view of the podcast. I don't know any final guesses he played third base at some point yeah like early in his career not with cleveland how long was his career well <laughs> 20 years oh oh okay so it wouldn't be someone like jason chiambi then <laughs> <laughs> yeah my next clue was either going to be he played for 20 years Hit 440 home runs. Well, I mean, when you're like strategically walking, (laughs) like, oh, well, uh, he once played right field. Of course, this is one of the first things I think of when I think of Jason Giambi. (laughs) Well, you know, he did play a little bit of third base in 95. If if I was summing up his career, I definitely would think (laughs) once played third base, liked golden thongs. And his middle name was Gilbert. Like, yeah, <laughs> of course. That's Jason Giambi for sure. Hi, hi, hi. All right. Subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher. You tried. Sorry, man. <laughs> Spotify. Uh, you can help support the podcast at Anchor. And again, if you want more Selby is Godcast, I mean, who doesn't? Let us know. Let us know if that's something you would be interested in, supporting the podcast to get a bonus episode per week, if you'd be willing to 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 pay per episode whatever the case may be pay for additional content let us know um and like i said this is something that uh, we've seen many other podcasts do and we thought hey it's a it's a model that other people seem to enjoy we'll see if other people are interested in that and if not we'll continue churning out this typically one episode a week and and we'll just do that we'll keep everybody happy somehow i think maybe that's impossible to keep everybody happy at all times Help us help you. Until next time, be good, everybody.
We'll see you. The Selvius Godcast featuring Zach Meisel and TJ Zuppi is presented by our supporters at Anchor. To help support the podcast, visit anchor.fm slash Godcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, we sure hope you do, be sure to leave us a five-star review. And if you have suggestions, drop us a DM on Twitter at Godcast. Thanks for listening.